With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hi, everybody. It's Angie. <laughs> I'm here in Earthquake, California. We had one this afternoon. So Earthquake Central is now the new name of this place I live. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. I'm distracted. I'm I'm glad to see you all made it. It's time for my private audio call tonight. Our special guest speaker is Dan Benham. <laughs> I didn't say the date. Today is April the 5th, 2018. Ten more days, or is it 11, 12 more days till that infamous tax date? Ugh, terrible. <laughs> anyway, hi, Dan. Great. I'm glad you can make it. Thank you so much for coming on our call. How are yeah, you? Thanks for, I'm doing good, and uh, thanks for having me back again. How are you doing? Oh, fine. Same as usual. You know, nothing really new. <laughs> Earthquake, I, I'm uh, in the California, land where huh? Yeah, yeah. Today we had a 5.3, but it was 75 miles off the coast, so, you know, we all felt a little wiggle, but nothing major, really. Although on yeah, the news, well, they make it sound like the end of the world. You know, they went on for like four hours on the news about it. And there was oh, nothing. sure. Yeah, but we anyway. do with 5.3 degrees temperature at times, but uh, never <laughs> the earth, earth shattering. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so cold. But yeah, it's right. Michigan. So, so have you have, have you had uh, opportunity to talk to some people and kind of get any ideas on what kind of topics they would like to discuss tonight? Actually, yes. There's a gentleman on the call that's waiting to speak to you. He's got issues uh, uh, dealing with agencies. He's he's number one in the lineup. Also, I got email an email from a gentleman wanting me to ask you a few questions. So. Uh, you want to just start right in with the questions, or did you want to update us on anything, what's new, or anything? Well, the, the, the book's going along real well, and if there's anyone out there that's publishers or editors, um, you know, let me know. I'd be more than happy to uh, give them the information and see if we can't uh, finish this book up. Um, as you know, I can write oh. legal documents, but I'm not too good at writing books, I guess. It looks like it needs to be going to a judge, not a (laughs) general public. I don't have a very good, I I don't know if it's me, but it's like your sound is like fading in and out. Anybody else having that problem? Let me see here. Anybody having a problem hearing him? Tell me in the chat. Otherwise, yes, okay, they're all having a problem. Um, Okay, I apologize about that. um, What do we do to fix it? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have you on speaker, so I know that's not the problem. Okay. Well, are you walking around or moving around maybe? or? Nope. I'm sitting in a chair. All right. Well, let's hope for the best. So okay. what would you what would you like to do first? Well, why don't we just open up a couple of questions and maybe that might um, lead right into some stuff that I'd like to talk about anyways. All right. Good. Okay. Well, we're going to let Mike Chattanooga... You've been unmuted, my dear. Go ahead, Mike. Ask him. Yeah, thank you, Angela. Dan, mm-hmm. um, I've got 
uh, Social Security and the VA that has messed my uh, payments up, and I send a letter to the director, the head guys or ladies, and they disregard my letters. They just mm-hmm. don't give a darn, okay? You know, it's veterans right. and different ones. Yeah. And so, yeah, un- un- unfortunately, they're going to want you to take the administrative process, though. You know, it's just, it's just like the president. You can't just write the president asking to do something. You've got to go through the channels and, and so on. So there's got to be some kind of process where you can file an initial claim with the Social Security Administration, let them know what the problem is, um, supply them with some evidence on it. And rumor about Social Security, I'm not that um, not real knowledgeable on Social Security, but typically they're always going to deny the first claim. They just textbook, that's just their first their first procedure is to just deny it and make you fight harder for it. Um, I, I don't I know what that procedure everything. would be, but I agree. But I have been doing this for like twenty plus years. They just it it, it don't go that route. So what I was planning on doing is trying to uh, default them with three additional letters and pull them into federal court. That's the only way I'm going to get any remedy. You know, the claim... You're, you're telling me for 20 years they've been mis, mis... They're sending you the wrong amounts of Social Security? Yes, yes. And they know this, okay. and yet they just disregard it. Don't care. Okay. VA, same what, way. <clears throat> do you do you mind me talking a little bit more privately with you on this open line about it? No, I don't mind at all. Okay. All right. What, what documents do you have that support your your position uh medical doctors from the va okay so you got professional doctors that say that you are entitled to x amount of dollars yes and they disregard it they just pretend like they don't get it even though we send it to them i can have the congressman send it to them and he says his hands are tied you know he can't do anything so if it's anything like my mother, she was in the post office and they disregarded her doctors and chose to use their own doctors, which made a completely different opinion. Would that probably be the same in your case? Well, I'm using veterans' doctors, okay? I mean, it's okay, them so and veterans, okay. Mm-hmm. They, dis- they just, it, it, they do us veterans this way. They don't give a damn, okay? It's, it's like they're in that position and mm-hmm. you know, I can send letters to them. And like you say, they don't care. They want you to go through the right. claim. I have done that. Right. All it does is okay. just waste time. And that's why I okay. got to drag them into, into a federal court. So can you mm-hmm. help me with that, Dan? That's that's where I have I, to go. All of us that, federal that's, go into federal court. That's actually court. what I would suggest is just sue them right in court. Just, you know, lodge a complaint okay. right in the federal so what court. What I want and... to do is when, when I get to federal court is the judge is going to say, what have you did done, you know, letter-wise, give me some proof, and so that's why I was wanting three letters to default them. So when I go there and the judge, he's going to say, yep, you tried to work it out with them. They just disregarded it, you know. So that's, have, you, have you sought out any pro bono attorneys that work in Social Security? No, I haven't. I've been trying to do it on my own because I feel like these attorneys, you know, that I've talked to before, uh, it's it's like, they will lose their job if they try to help us veterans too much. It's well, like we and, and to use them in a way. What, they have to go along right. with the system. Well, and you're right. They do have to go along with the system. And if you show them that the system is in your favor, it's actually one topic I wanted to talk about, which I'll talk about right after I'm done with your question, um, <clears throat> is you, you've got damages, and it's clear that you have damages. 
and who's the party that damaged you would be the Social Security Administration. Right. So the only, the, only, the only thing you really have to do is find the federal law that grants the court power to hear that case, and then also the federal law that says that you have a right to that money, file a claim or a complaint in the in the federal court and, and do so. And I bet you you could find an attorney, not even pro bono, that once they see that you have a claim that's been valid for 20 years, they would probably negotiate and work some deal out with you where they'll just go ahead and do it and then obviously take their proceeds out of your winnings. And the the best way to approach that is obviously to have all your evidence up front and, and approach different attorneys with it and see what they can do. And the reason I keep stressing an attorney here is when you go into federal court, 99.9% of people lose in federal court due to administrative process. They lose because they forgot to file a document or they lost because they forgot to put in some federal statute that they were supposed to put in. And unfortunately, the courts will not help you because they can't. Because the judge, as much as he may look at your claim and say, hey, this is a good claim, he can't proceed and let you know what you messed up on. Otherwise, he now turns into your attorney and now he has just made a, a plagiary out of the judicial system because he can't act as an attorney. Yeah, so you have to find somebody that's going to do that for you. I agree. You are real correct on they will find some kind of ruling that I forgot. You know, I say one of us that we fail the procedures, you know, some step, and that's easy to do. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So I will try to find me somebody. In the meantime, can, do you have any suggestions? I'd like to do the three default letters, you know, since I've already sent a bunch. So the first one has already went. I would like to do a, a follow-up and a third one and find me an attorney in the meantime also. I'm going to do all this. Have you got any suggestions when I write the letter to them to get them to maybe respond? There may be some kind of key words you may be thinking I could say to them. Okay, Other well, I, I do, I do understand commercial law very well. And what I'm hearing is that you keep sending these letters, but they're ignoring them. And the first rule with commercial law is that anytime you file any document with a different party, and that party is the party that injured you, you have to, you have to include a default message in it, uh, what they call default provisions. That's obviously found in Article 9 of the Uniform Commercial Code, where if it's not spelled out, what is going to be their repercussions if they don't adhere to what's going on, then you have a claim. Um, for example, let's, let's take an easy example. Let's say that you borrowed $100 from me and you didn't pay it back. Well, if there was no agreement to it, then there's no evidence to it. And therefore, you'd have to produce some kind of affidavit proving that that scenario happened. On the other case, if you came to me and said, I need $100, and I filed, a, I say, you and I went into an agreement. And in that agreement, I said, on such and such day, I'm loaning him $100. He said he'd give it to me in 90 days. However, if in 90 days he doesn't do that, he's giving me right title and interest to his house, to his car, to his income, his checks, and so on and so forth, i.e. the default section. That has to be in there, otherwise you lose. So now my question to you would be, in those other letters that you wrote to them, did you put something in there that stipulated and said, if you do not prove my allegations wrong, you will be liable or you are agreeing to allow me to sue you in court for damages that I've occurred during this, uh, during the, the issue here? 
No, I didn't go that far. Here's what I did, though, is I did say that if they don't respond to this, we all all parties agree that this is is true. You know, whatever's in the letter, I said that it's okay. completely yep. true. And I, okay, certif- so, yep. I also put on there that I certify these facts true and complete. Okay, and that's perfect. If you did that, now you just find the federal law that's, that obviously if the Social Security Administration doesn't pay you what's rightfully due to you, you've got the evidence that you've requested it and that they would be in agreement with you if they didn't respond. Now you just attach that federal law to it and sue them in court. I, that's what I'd do. I'd find a hungry young attorney that's willing to, you know, obviously, here, take it. Here's my stuff. Here's the proof. Here's my professional expert witnesses. You take this and uh, take 10% of the money or whatever. I mean, it, okay. it sounds like it's pretty pretty much a shoe-in, and it sounds like you've already done at least that there's evidence that you've attempted to make do with it. And there are exceptions to that default provision, which is layman, which you are. If you're a layman, they're not going to hold you up to the standards of making an agreement between two people. If a wrong has been done and you can prove that the wrong has been done and that you've been damaged as a result of it, then that's what the laws are made for is to protect people. I hear so many times people out there saying that laws grant rights and all this other kind of horse crap, and it's just simply not true. The laws are made to protect people. It's it's plain and simple. If it's not designed to, to protect people or property, then it's not a law. It's just it's an administrative writing. Okay. I, I hear everything you're saying. I'm going to follow your advice. I just got one last question. You know, when I do this default letter, what is the essential elements of a complete default letter? You know, you're saying what the problem is, pointing it out to them, giving them right. an opportunity to respond to that, and then when they don't, you once again friendly say again, I gave you opportunity to fix this problem, and mm-hmm. you've ignored it. So the next level is we need to do this. So, you know, you just go through steps a little bit, don't you? Right, you do. And, and again, I would revert back to the Social Security Administration law that supports your position. Uh, there obviously is going to be some law out well, there. Well, here's what says, I did. As I mentioned, their uh, charter, because their charter specifies what they are to do, what they're not supposed to do. Okay, so the charter the charter would be codified in in the law somewhere. If I'm not mistaken, you should be somewhere around what is it? United States Code Social Security. Where is that at? I, I I'm totally unfamiliar with Social Security law. I've, I I can't say, but I could find it. What you're saying. So what? Mm-hmm. I've looked for their corporate charter. They keep it hid because it specifies exactly what they are to do and what they're not supposed to do. And well, their corporate they, charter I, is going to be in the original statutes. Not not the United States Code, the original statutes. It has okay. to be in there, otherwise it can't be a lawful charter. Okay. Are you familiar with the statutes at large? No. Uh, here's what I did is I went to the Library of Congress, called them on the phone, and asked them to find the corporate charter for me, and they mm-hmm. couldn't do it for VA and Social Security. You know, they go, they're somewhere, they're somewhere, but they're not. And then I asked the congressman <clears> to get it. And he you know can, what? Excuse me one second here. GGG555 in our chat is saying that CFR Title 38 show all procedure for VA. Yeah, it will. It'll show procedures, but it don't show the corporate charter, you know. See, uh, okay, hold, hold on one second. Hold, hold on. This is very crucial what I'm about to say. 
now that he's identified as uh, Title 38 in the United States Code, go in there and find the section that talks about that um, the, the authorization or the authority of the VA. And underneath, you're going to find where it says this law was created by this section and then this section. And then it's going to start telling you different statutes at large. It's going to say something like uh, 120 stat 150. That's the statute you need to go to, and you'll find the charter there. Okay. All right. It, it, it is kind I'll of hard. You know uh, uh, Tom, out. I think, yeah, I think you can find it in Thomas.Lodge, uh, L-O, uh, L-O-G, I think it is. It's in the Thomas. If you just you can just actually go to Google and just write Thomas uh, uh, statutes, and it'll bring you right to the Thomas uh, website, which is the statutes at large. Okay. And by the way, I'll, by the way, I, what, I, what I also would encourage you to do is print out the United States Code section, and then once you do find the statute, print the statute out, and if there's any difference in verbiage wording, punctuation, or anything else between the statute at large and the United States Code, the statute at large prevails. And I guarantee even an attorney will go to that code and they're going to say, this is what it is. Once you show them that statute, I can provide you with every circuit and every district of every court in this country that has unanimously agreed that the United States statute at large will always prevail over the code. The code is designed in certain circumstances to mislead people. They put different words in it. For example, uh, four stat, excuse me, 12 stat 479, which is one of the original tax statutes. The original statute said, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read the code first to show you how they do it. In the code, it says that persons here and citizens abroad are not liable for the income tax. However, when you go back to the original statute at large, because our question then came up, well, what the heck's the difference between a person and a citizen? I mean, you said person here and citizen here in the same sentence, so a person can't be a citizen. So what, 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 how, what, what is a, who's a person and who's a citizen? Well, you go back to the original statute and it originally read aliens here and citizens abroad are the ones that pay taxes. So they, I hate to, to say it, but it's true. They do it a lot, and that's why I always, always, always beg people, go find the statute. And sometimes people say, Dan, go find it for me. I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. I mean, I would love to do it and help out, but if you do it yourself, you see it, you know it, you read it, and nobody can overcome it because you're the one that's got to go in that courtroom and defend it. Exactly. Plus, I need to find it. I need to learn how to find it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I really appreciate this, Dan, and I appreciate the people online, you know, in the chat room that put up good information. They will through the night. There'll be other good stuff come about since I've opened and, and I, the discussion. I also, <clears throat> I also have a couple uh, suggestions for some attorneys. Um, I don't want to put their name out in, in public like that, so if you can, just send uh Send Angela a quick little uh, email asking uh, what attorney should I got a couple of three or four that may actually uh, take you up on that. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will, Angela. You know my green yeah. name, Mercy. You'll know my email's the same. Okay. Mike Chattanooga? Right. Okay. I'll watch for it. Just put All it in right. the Thank subject you so line. Much.
We really love you, man. I'm glad you've come on here. Me too. Right, I you're talking to me. Too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. And, you we know, you. Um, anybody, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. I hope it works it, out. It will. I, Dan's gave me great uh, foresight right here. Yeah, Sue Bass. Thank you. You know what I mean? Thank you. <laughs> and, Andrew, I'd like to uh, um, jump off on a little little topic here just for a minute because he did spur my – my my memory is getting old and slow. Uh, I never want to agree with that, but I do. Um, oh, I know that. I can remember. <laughs> been doing this too long. Um, there, there's, there, we live in exciting times. I just all I can say right now is there's a lot of hogwash going on, and I don't know if, uh, how many people actually on the call participants in social media or anything like that, but I just sit back and I, I, I put my hand on my forehead and I just can't believe some of the retarded, ignorant, asinine things people say. Uh, I mean, it, it is just, we as a country, as a whole, not everybody, but as a country, as a whole, we have totally forgotten who we are. The people of this country are the sovereign, period. I can prove that with banking, and I can prove it with constitutional law. And so many people nowadays are under a misguided impression that our Constitution, for some mysterious way, grants people privileges and powers, and it don't. I was talking to an African-American gentleman the other day, and he wanted to kill me when he started to bring up civil rights. And my comment to him was, was that civil rights itself is one of the reasons, the Civil Rights Act is one of the reasons our country is so screwed up right now. And I wish they would have never created that act. And this gentleman looked at me, and I, I tell you, he, I, he looked at me as though he wanted to just crush my head. And I said, sir, just give me a minute to explain something to you. I said, our founding fathers looked in an era when they talked differently. It was unheard of for a woman to even work. Back then, they helped their women get into their carts and their cars. Nowadays, they don't do that. We, there's a complete cultural difference from then to now. And our founding fathers, in my opinion, made one simple mistake. And that mistake was when they were writing the laws, in particular for land ownership and also electing people when they go to vote. They put the word white male over the age of 21 in our Constitution. And that automatically caused a division of sovereigns. Now the white male over 21 had a certain privilege that anything other than a white male over 21 wasn't allowed to participate in. And if those three words were removed in the word citizen, American citizen, or American, was put in there, there would not be any need for any civil rights laws because everyone is on even playing fields now. Everyone. It wouldn't matter what color you were, what age you were, what sex you were, or what financial standing you had, everybody had equal standing in the law and in this country. 
the simplicity of that makes sense while we're talking, but trying to convince lawmakers that we don't need 6 million plus words in a tax code. We don't need 4 million words in a banking code. We don't need all that information. Our Constitution was originally put forth as a chain on government powers. It has nothing to do with powers of the people or granting privileges or rights. We born here or lawfully come in as through the immigration system, which is a sour topic with a lot of people. You come in and you're rightfully recognized as an American citizen or an American, whatever you want to call it. You have rights automatically because of that. I like to say myself, I was born here, so I have a birthright. You can't take my rights away. And the Constitution doesn't say Dan Benham has a right to remain silent. No, it doesn't. It says no person shall be required to testify against themselves. That's an order to them, telling them they can't do it to me. And the people nowadays, they feel they need to go to the government and ask for power. They need to ask for help. They need to ask for entitlements. And it's all gone so backwards now. And the same thing is very true with the law. I've had so many people that one one friend of mine said that they uh, wanted to get an eviction off their credit report. And my comment to him was, well, in order for you to have a proper claim in law in any court, obviously there's two parties to it, so we, we know clearly that that's, that's the elementary part. So there's got to be two parties to it. However, there has to be an injury. And the other person that you're claiming did it had to have caused damage to you. And I said, How, or the other part of this equation is that the government usurped their power and stepped over what they're supposed to do or what they're not supposed to do. In your case, can you ask that question, who was damaged? And he had to honestly tell me that the guy was damaged because he didn't pay rent. So how in the world are you supposed to possibly go into a court of law and say that the credit bureau is supposed to take that off there when you actually are the person that damaged someone else? Now, damages amongst two people, I'm, I'm sorry, there's not a whole lot you can do. If you hurt somebody, you should be required to, to make do make that amends to that. Now, if the government comes and does something to you and they didn't have a right to do it, that's a whole different story. Now the government's stepping over their boundaries. But the simplicity of the law, so many people, have, they assume that they're entitled to something when they're not. And, and so many times, and Angela, I, I guarantee you've heard that probably at least a couple thousand times yourself, sure. where you just hear somebody yeah. say something. And it's like this, uh, I'm going I'm to go back on this, uh, oh, God, they keep changing the names on it. At one time, it was issuing of a bond, and then it was a closed check account, and then it was an international bond, and all these different things. And I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, one, you don't have any evidence that this, this account exists. Even if it does exist, prove it. If you can't prove it, you're not going to win. 
And even if, if, if you're going to try to do something, you borrowed money from somebody. And rightfully, that bank didn't have the money. It wasn't theirs. I understand that concept. But you trying to issue a document to discharge another one makes you just as criminal as them. When when a note well, that's, is cr- that's that's the ahead. thinking, you know. That's the thinking, you know. Well, if they're they get to do it, then so can we, right? That's the well, thinking. I think. What what makes what? Okay, so now you're going to stoop down to their level. I'm sorry, but that to me just morally and legally is is insane. Because you're sitting there saying what the bank did is wrong, which I 100% agree with that, and I, I'll, I can explain that here in a minute. But for you to turn around and do the same thing to them, that's an eye for an eye. That's not even that's not even spiritually acceptable. It's morally wrong. I steal your car, so you're going to steal mine? Come on. We're, we're better than that. As a society, we're better than that. If we're not, shame on us, and we should be better than that. When, when a person goes to get a bank loan, they sign a document which is a note. However, this note is not a contract. It's an authorization form. And the reason that I say that convictingly is because there's only one signature on it, and it's yours, unless you co-sign with somebody, and then there's two, which the bank never signs. This is the bottom line. You sign it. So any document that has one party's signature on it is not a contract of agreement. It's an authorization form. So that note has, for example, $100,000 for a house. You just authorized, as the sovereign in this country, the Federal Reserve to make that $100,000. The bank became your trustee, gave it to the Federal Reserve, said, look, I got the sovereign's authorization to make this $100,000. Federal Reserve now has authorization to make that $100,000, gives it back to your trustee, the bank, and then they go and give it to the person who you buying the house from. So the person from the house and the person that signed the note don't see any failure with it. However, we have discovered that that's exactly what's going on. As a trust, a trust relationship is made, the bank is your trustee holding your funds. You as a sovereign handed it to them. You agreed to it. And they ran off with your money, but you didn't know it. So, yes, the banking system is failed. It's wrong. It's not wrong for the bankers, because obviously the elite have been doing very successfully off this. But it's also taken the wealth of the middle class away. I shouldn't say the middle class. I should say all of us, anyone with a loan. So if you stand on that ground, because the bank never had standing. The reason they didn't have standing is because they never told you what was really going on. You walked into the bank and assumed you were borrowing the bank's money. You weren't borrowing the bank's money. You were authorizing the bank to go to the Federal Reserve to print your money, which was then given to somebody else, and the bank just took it and did what Tom Schaaf eloquently said, made a double entry in the bank's computer systems. A great publication. There's two of them, Modern Money Mechanics from the Federal Reserve and Two Faces of Debt, also from the Federal Reserve. Two publications that clearly and unequivocally prove what I just said to you. It is an asset and it's a debt to the bank. Their computer, they show a book entry, double entry. One is an asset and two, it's a liability. My question, whose asset is it and whose liability? 
you print a $100 bill, it's an asset to somebody, and it's also a liability to somebody else. When it's first printed, it's not the Federal Reserve Bank's asset. It's their liability. They're the ones that printed it only. So all money is an asset and a debt. And you have to ask yourself, whose asset is it and whose liability is it? Same thing with a note. Once that note's transferred, it's transferred into $100,000. Whose asset is it when it's still in the bank's hand? It's not the bank's. It's not their asset. It's yours. It's their liability. No different than if I handed a car to a buddy of mine and said, go sell this for me. It's not his asset. He's just a broker. But in this case, I didn't ask the bank to go make $100,000. I asked the bank to loan me $100,000. And they didn't do it. They went and created this little trust and played a little game, took my, my note, and went and put it on the exchange. And now it's being uh, traded on the open exchange at the Securities and Exchange Commission. It's being traded all over the place in municipal bonds left and right. Most of the people have no clue what's going on. However, what the bank did was illegal. It violates trust law. Misrepresentation, misloyalty. They misrepresented the entire thing. And if that is proven, which it can be done through the Securities and Exchange filings and the FDIC and the Federal Reserve um, filings themselves, because these, these banks have to file there, you go get the right filings, then you can go into a court of law and say, this is what I actually thought I was doing, and this is what the bank did. Not only that, how did this bank, by any chance, obtain standing in court? Huge. Angela, you've heard me talk about this a lot. If you don't have standing to be in court, you don't have a right to be there. And no court can have jurisdiction if one of the parties doesn't have standing. can't go into court accusing somebody that didn't do anything wrong, nor can you go into court and make a claim against somebody that rightfully didn't do it. That's what the bank's doing. The bank's going in there saying, hey, this guy didn't pay me my money back. wasn't your money. Here's the proof from your own filings that you filed with the FDIC and the, and the Securities and Exchange Commission. You lied the whole way. So how can you possibly have standing in court when you didn't even give me one penny of your own, you didn't obtain damages and you lied and you misrepresented this entire loan. That corrects the Federal Reserve problem in this nation if enough people do it. Everyone's sending, sending in these bonds and trying to discharge the debt. The first, and, and I'm going to be a little harsh here, the first stupid thing people are doing when doing that is they're admitting that there's a debt to pay. Why in the world would I send something of value to somebody else if that loan wasn't lawful? If it was an unlawful act, why in the heck would I want to send them anything of value? If I do, I'm proving there's a debt to pay to begin with. I just prove their claim that they have a debt that I do to, that's due for me to pay. I just locked myself up in my own little prison. Not only that, if you send something in of value like that, you're switching the burden of proof because now the burden of proof is not on them to prove the claim that you just proved was valid by trying to send them something. 
But now the burden of proof switches back to you to prove that what you did is right. Now, there's a lot of people out there, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's several people that I know of that have been successful with it. And those are the people that really, really, really know what's going on and know how to draft up documents and know how to go through that process. But I'll tell you what, that's only maybe a half percent of a half percent of the people in this entire country. And if you don't know it, you're going to lose. That's if you have any moral decency. Oh. That's if you have any moral decency to even do it. So, um, But I really do believe that this country needs a wake-up call as far as education. And I really would love people to just start reading. Take 20 minutes out of a day and just read up on a little bit of Constitution. You know, here in Michigan, Michigan's on its fourth Constitution. And if you go back to the organic 1832, 1835, excuse me, Constitution. Article 1, Section 21 says that any acts of this Constitution or any acts from Congress or representatives after this act that are contrary to any section of this original Constitution shall be null and void. Brings me to a question as to who authorized the new Constitution and who authorized the new constitution that took that section out? They didn't even have authorization to create a new constitution because they can't change and can't alter what was originally written, but they did anyway. I'll shut up for a minute here, Angela, and let you uh, open it up there. Sorry about that. Oh, no, it's good. Good to hear. Uh, let's see here. Alan Douglas has his hand up. Go ahead, my dear. You've been unmuted. Hey, Ange. How are you doing? I fine, thank you. Good. What's your uh, guest name? Chris. Chris, is it? No, this is Dan Benham. Oh, Dan. Dan Daniel Benham. Hi, Dan. And there, Daniel. Oh. Like you, Dan. How are you, sir? Well, I'm not too bad. Uh, sir is my dad. <laughs> Anyways, uh, no, you got me coming and going here. It's like. I'd like to go back to this jurisdiction thing. Um, uh, the inherent court of jurisdiction, both like in any common law country, whether it's the States or England or Canada or Australia or British Guyana, it doesn't matter. Inherent mm-hmm. court of jurisdiction is man on man. And I believe you're confused in jurisdiction of courts. And, and a man has no standing in any legislative court that was created by the legislative branch of government. You know, we have three branches of government, right? Legislative, executive, and the courts. Um, and, you're, cl- you're close, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'll agree with you so far. All right. So, well, this is where I'm getting confused with you. It's like, it's like the, bank, the bank isn't making a claim, okay? Somebody is making a complaint on the bank's behalf, and, they, and they're usually in a, some kind of statutory court with their complaint. Correct. Uh, now, if I say, say the man comes on to me and says, hey, I owe this money and da-da-da-da-da and I didn't pay, okay, fine, so I go to court. But if it's not a court of inherent jurisdiction where a man has standing, I have no business being there. Correct. Now, now if I wish to, to – if I wanted to screw with the bank, I would start my own claim saying that – let's call it uh, – uh, I don't know. What, what's your favorite bank? <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> oh, it's a great American bank. Right? It's, it's called a pillow. <laughs> say, 
you know, the Great American Bank, okay, has made a complaint that, <clears throat> that I owe them a debt and I haven't paid it or whatever, and, and mm-hmm. I'm a deadbeat. Okay, that's fine. But if it's not in a court of inherent jurisdiction, I can actually bring them over there. I can make a, uh, uh, I can make my own claim at a court of inherent jurisdiction where man does have standing and force the Great American Bank to testify on the stand that I owe a debt. Right. You're but absolutely right. The Great American Bank can't testify. That's the thing. They don't exist. They're just on paper only. I mean, right. if if you're, if you're going to beat out these guys for this kind of stuff, that's how you do it. But I have no business going into any court that was created by the legislature to, and, and think I'm going to stand as a man. Because there's no way. There's no way. I have no voice at that court. And, that, and, and that's, you know, that's where people get hurt. You know, like uh, like up here, up in the Great White North, you know, we got provincial court, which is totally it's it's probably it's like your state court. It's it's like low. It's you know one of the lowest courts there is. You know, under uh, under their jurisdiction, you got traffic court and a yep. couple of mm-hmm. things. Oh, you know, and and they also have their their version of criminal court. You know, for breaking a criminal code. But right. if I if I went in there, if some cop made a complaint that I was riding without a helmet or something, and I go in there, I have no voice. I have no standing. I don't belong in there, right? So I need to make a claim and get them over into an inherent court of jurisdiction where I do have standing. And right, say, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with what you're saying, but down here there's a little bit more to it. Now, I'll let you finish, and then I'll jump in after that. Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, because like you, you know, I, you know, I was listening to you talk gracefully, and, and it was like, oh my god, you know, I was coming up with all these questions, like, <laughs> okay, well, here, here's some here's some good information that I found with regard to just the United States. This is uh, the you know the fifty or whatever. Um, back in 1871, our legislature, like you just said, illegally, it doesn't really apply to us, but they did it anyways. And now it's just it's just common knowledge to everybody that they they just have to do it. But that court, uh, excuse me, that that 1871 District of Columbia Organic Act, that's what started everything in this country. And I'm going to move you fast forward here to 1971. It was a Supreme Court case, and that case is called Hoogan and Allison Incorporated versus Evett. Evett was the Ohio commissioner, and there was a big fight over taxation between whether the United States was entitled to a tax on shipped goods coming into the country or Ohio. Ohio was, uh, Evett was the commissioner. So this went through the Supreme Court, and you get about three-quarters of the way through the, uh, the, the decision of that court, and the Supreme Court made it very clear that the term United States, could appear in one of several different senses, Absolutely. and it could appear, and it could appear in different powers. In other words, it could appear in court in its constitutional sense. It could appear in court as its treaty sense, if it was going against the laws of nations, or it could appear in court in its corporate capacity under Absolutely. the District of Columbia Organic Act. Well, you and guys- like not to cut you off, but just to put us in perspective here, like because don't think like we're we're not all we have a different style than you, but we're not all that different. And uh, no, and I do help guys in and out of court down down on the across the sure, U.S. Sure. 
and th- and thank you thank you for doing that too. And I myself have personally had several people going into a federal court bringing up Allison and Hooven right away to ask, hey, this United States is suing me. What capacity are they acting? How in the world can I possibly defend myself if I don't know what capacity they can be acting in? And here's the Supreme Court case that says they can be acting in one of several. I can't defend myself. I don't even know how to challenge anything or even dig up information if I don't know which United States is coming at me. Is it the corporate? They'll, they'll tell you when they, the way they stylize their name. Like down there, like like up here, like our, our courts have inherited jurisdiction where a man has standing. You'll find them in each province or say each state, okay? The province mm-hmm. and state are basically the same thing. And you'll find each right. one in, in the state. And they all actually, uh, you know, they all come from, uh, you know, King's Bench or uh, King's Court or, you know, Queen's Bench, you know, and that's, that's mm-hmm. still or even though they call themselves Superior Court or Supreme Court now, then down the states you have the same thing statewide. But the other thing you guys got is it's the style of the name. And the other thing you have, your your original court of jurisdiction uh, is is the Supreme... Uh, no. Now let me get this right, because there's a difference between the, the, the United States Supreme Court, I believe, is your inherent court of jurisdiction as far as the federal side goes. Yes. Yes. Right? So that's where you could actually make a claim that somebody's making a false claim or somebody's uh, administrating your property. <laughs> right. Yes. You know? The court of federal claims would be the 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 uh, one that most people are unaware of here in America, that if you do have a claim against a federal agency or a federal, which would be a bank, because all banks are actually uh, federal agents anyway, uh, the Federal Claims Court is, is what I've read in my research, the proper one if you want to start a claim against them. Yeah, if, um, you, look at but, the, if you look at how they style your name, their name, then that's how you can figure out which jurisdiction <clears throat> that they're trying to, to haul you into. Right. And, and however, getting into banking, though, what I found is that once a person – I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, back in the 80s, they, I think it was 80, it might actually have been the late 70s, they actually made it so that a corporation has the same rights as a human being or an American here in the States, which catapulted the, the, a whole different sphere of contract law. So now when you go to a bank, you don't only sign a note, but you're signing a whole bunch of others. One primarily that I love to, to, to get my fingers on is a servicer agreement, and then the other one's obviously going to be the mortgage. And that one's signed by both parties. So in the court's eyes, there is a contractual jurisdiction or contractual standing between the parties because now the court's looking at an agreement between two parties. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, I think, I believe, just to, uh, not to correct you or anything, but I believe, and they did the same thing here. We're, like I say, mm-hmm. we're not oh. different. Have a couple of different styles going on, but the, 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 the eight power families run the whole world. But they gave the corporations the same right as a person. Uh-huh. And if you look at if you look at the Interpretation Act, uh, you'll find out that uh, a person is includes a corporation. And right. they, the reason they use the word includes is because the inclusion of one excludes all others. So right. it, it, that's how they. This is where they play their trickery, yeah. right? But the only thing is, 
uh, a man or a woman, right, has many persons, right? Like we all have persons, and a person is somebody who has a duty and obligation and responsibility to a society that they ascribe to. Like one of my persons is dad, and I have a duty, responsibility, and obligation to my wife and my kids, you know, as a dad. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's where they try and trick you, especially with uh, mm-hmm. like tax guys, eh? You know, right. you must this and you must that, and well, who the hell is you? Right. right? Use an accusatory term to bind the man to the person, right? And that's where you have to. That's where you have to. That's where you have to chop them off, right there at the head. But all of us have de facto governments. Every oh, one sure, of them. absolutely. There's a, there's a, what the power elite families. There's eight families that control all countries. And I'm sorry if, if that offends people, but they do. There's eight, eight families that run it all. And what, what the, the, I guess you call it the process or the theory that I have is one that will bring it into court and bring the truth out so that it's made public. Because if you do it the way that you're suggesting, they tuck it under the rug, move on. Everything's well, quiet, everything's, you know, mum's the word. Where this strategy, so to speak, will expose it for what it is, and hopefully enough people will catch on to it and correct it. I'm just hoping enough people catch on that they have an inherent right, period. Mm-hmm. Have a court of mm-hmm. inherent jurisdiction, and nobody seems to. Everybody wants to shoot their mouths off in the wrong court, and and they're all acting like the like like you know like like defenders, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, if you go in as a defender, what you're going to do is is get a good beating <laughs> before they well, before they dismiss or before they discharge or before they you know <laughs> you know that's the best you're going to do as a defender. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm I'm not going to disagree with that, but it's the same token. I do have uh, quite a line of people that uh, the strategy that I've come up with has actually been very successful on on at least mortgage loans and whatnot. It's well, how does it work it, for you? Like, have you used it? Like, have you done this yourself? I was I was my own guinea pig. I was the first person that did it in 1997. Oh, sweet! Grand Traverse County, Michigan, 249 Peachtree Drive. If anyone wants to. Write that down and check the books on it. <clears throat> I did that. And as a matter of fact, I'm a, a director of finance at an auto dealer. And the at the time, I was also. And the lender was actually a lender that I had signatory power for. I was one of their one of their um, agents at the at the car dealership. And they gave me a loan. And I got the... I, I went real hard on this one. And I, I first started out with just regular Privacy Act notices, and I was sending them off to uh, GMAC. And GMAC said, no, we don't own the note. Fannie Mae does. So then I got with Daniel Mudd, who was at the time the director, and I sent a FOIA request to him asking him if he owned the note. Nobody said they owned the note. So I created this affidavit that still, it's been improved since then, but I created an affidavit filed it in the court, and the entire loan disappeared. And on my credit report, it actually showed that it was paid off and paid as agreed. And I had just gotten that loan a year before, and it was for well over $100,000. Oh, sweet. And I understand exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you were calling the bearer of the note. Mm-hmm. And none of them bared the note, so none of them had a claim to the uh, had a claim to, to, to collect any money off you. 
Because they exactly. get there. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. Is that good for so you, Alan? That... Oh, no, I could talk to this guy all night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the same way. It's a great conversation. You know, it, well, it, it's amazing that I, I started to do that. And, and there was some, when I really went hard on it was 2006 and 2007. End of 2007, I was mysteriously put under investigation for taxes, which they completely created all the charges for. In 2008, the system that I had come up with had gotten so popular that there were, I would say, at least five or six different groups nationwide that actually opened businesses that were doing what I was doing. Okay. And next thing you know, 2008, we had a mortgage crisis in America, if people remember correctly. Well, they were, yeah, I know, but come on, man. You you can't give a guy a million-dollar house, which is actually a $10,000 house that's a shack yes. on bridge, freeway bridge, and, and expect them to pay the note. I mean, like, that's just crazy. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. But, mm-hmm. uh, but like, my best friend, right, Tony, so he was, he was a faithful man, you know, worked, he worked in a union job all his life up at the mill, at Wood Mill, and... Um, Paid off, paid off his mortgage and everything. And I said, okay, well, when are we having the note-burning party? He says, <laughs> he says, I just got a letter saying that, you know, hey, uh, thank you for the payments. I says, no. I says, your note's out there, and whoever bears that note can come back. Say you're dead. They can come back and, uh, and um, you know, uh, put a lien on your house, collect your house, kick your old lady out in her old age. He says, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? He says, this is what happened in, in New York. Uh, there was a old lady. She was like seventy. She had a forty-year-old, forty-something-year-old uh, disabled son. You know, I think a little retarded or whatever. And uh, anyways, the sheriff showed up, and somebody had done a default judgment on her. Whoever bore the note on a mortgage she paid off in the late seventies, hmm. but she never got the note back. So somebody was carrying the note, did a default judgment on her. And the sheriff showed up and had to escort her and her son out of her property. That was the most you know, it, disgusting thing I ever saw. And then that, uh, who was that judge there that died a while back? Uh, Scalia? Scalia. Yeah, Scalia. He, uh, he, he made it, he made it, and this is like after the, this is during that 08, 09 time. So he made it so that if, if any lawyer any lawyer brings a claim like that to court that they, that they actually, if they're not willing to swear in that, that it's true, that uh, don't bring it to court here anymore. And right. I don't think there's been yep. anything like that ever since in the last 10 years. You know, it's, it's interesting. You said the sheriff came to, to uh, evict, and I found in Bogert's trust law, I believe it was Chapter 8, if I'm not mistaken, that the sheriff is actually appointed as a trustee for the trust to go collect on that house. So the sheriff, when they evict people out of their houses, he's not acting under his municipal authority, but rather under a trust, trustee power. That's right. And if he doesn't act, he can be sued. Yes. That's the other thing. Like, <laughs> believe me, a lot of these guys do not want to haul little old ladies out of their homes for these, 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 well, I'll keep my words to myself, but, you know, these scam <laughs> And that's the thing with Tony. I said, you better write the bank and, and find out who's the president, write him a letter, and 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 get your note back, <clears throat> right? So yeah. Tony writes a very aggressive letter. So what they did was they said, oh, uh, we, we now canceled your overdraft, and uh, he went up to 29% if he uses his credit card. 
Oh, jeez. And he got wow. a letter, and you know, but he, he's you know he's somebody, and this is what a lot of people are like now. They they just don't follow through. You know, he talks to me no. about it a while, but he never follows through. He's never come yeah, over what? to my place. This is my best friend, and, and sat down with me and wrote a r- appropriate letter so that we could go after the note. Because if you're not going to give back that note, then you're going to have to cough up the money for the note. Right. You know, and it's called a chain of custody to find out mm-hmm. what. The note. Yeah, and that was something else I didn't hear you mention. You know. No. Nope. No. Nope. So Tony could change. Tony. Tony could actually sue him for the chain of custody of that note. Find out where the note went. Find out how the how much the other party paid for it, and then sue the bank for that much money to get the note back. Right. Yes. Yeah. Plus cost. Plus. Uh, and and in the in the, the the way to do that, obviously, you already mentioned the president of the bank because the president is one of the directors, and under Chapter Nine of the Original Bank Act, the directors are liable for any and all of their employees' actions and uh, words. So that's, that's why you go right straight to the director. You just ignore everyone else. Well, you know how the old saying is, crap rolls downhill? Well, crap rolls uphill. <laughs> it sure does. And it's that when you take the, when you actually act, like you take the, say you take the role of a CEO or president of a corporation like that, right? You also mm-hmm. all the problems that with that office that you took. So you're now liable yeah. for everything that went on there. And so mm-hmm. if there is a claim bef- before you, even even when it happened before, it's up to you to make sure that that claim gets settled. And that's a duty, responsibility, and obligation for your title. Right. Yes. Yep. And MERS, speaking of chain of title, uh, MERS got their little butts handed to them in Florida because that chain of uh, title was not properly followed through. And the courts down in Florida went, real hard against MERS for that back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. So, <clears throat> but I only have so much time, so I, I don't want to bore a lot of people, but at the same time, I want to try to try to help them out the best I can. And the way that I do it is a way that I feel personally is a very good strategy because it exposes it. And the more people that are exposed to it, obviously, if, Everybody in this country was to say April fifteenth. You know what? We're just not gonna we're not gonna mail it in. They're not gonna put the whole country in prison, guys. Well, no, of they can't. Not. It, in in fact, I think that would send a nice stern message to them that hey, you know what? We're on to your game. And you have to come to us, just uh-huh. like George Washington. George Washington, when he went to have the White House built, he sold raffle tickets. He went and got voluntary money. He didn't come steal it. I got two things to say to you. <laughs> uh, number one, uh, you just described what's going on up here. To make it. <laughs> number, the only reason they never called it the White House to begin with. Uh, the reason they called it the White House to begin with is because one of your generals was poking a fight with us, so we sent a bunch of farmers and Indians down there, uh, and we took over Washington, and we burnt the place mm-hmm. down. The only problem was we got drunk on that Canadian rye and never finished the job. <laughs> what they did was they whitewashed. This is true. They whitewashed the, the the White House. That's how it got its name, the White House, so that people wouldn't uh, see that it, it got partially burnt. And the only place, the only building we didn't touch when we went down the war, eighteen twelve, was the post office because it was international and everybody knew it. 
Yeah, that's, that is the original bank, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, they still deal in gold. Uh, I think it's the the French gold, the French gold mark, I believe, is what they still base theirs on, their stamps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, stamps backed up by gold. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chris. I won't take up everybody's time. I'm sure there's other people. Dan, Dan, not Chris. Oh, that's, that's twice, but that's okay. <laughs> well, no, I read Chris earlier on, up here somewhere, so I, I thought that's... But anyways, uh, yeah, thanks for your time, pal. And It was nice to meet you. Hopefully we uh, cross paths again. Well, you never know. <laughs> thanks, Great. Alan. Good night. Good night. Okay, next up is, let's see, Alan has his hand up. Go ahead, you've been unmuted. Hello, Angela. Hello. Hi, uh, Mr. Dan Burnham. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. I'm, I'm going to say a couple of things and step back. I, I want to get your opinion on um, a, a particular situation I'm looking at. Uh, a particular bank didn't file all the documents needed to file a case, foreclosure case. Like, for instance, you know, in certain states there are statutes that said you have to put, uh, say, for instance, you have to have a mortgage, and you have to have a promissory note when you file, or you have to have a assignment. You know, there's various various documents. So you know what I'm talking about where I'm going. They, they didn't file anything, but the judge let them get away with it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a code or a law or a statute for that, and I'd like you to expound on it. Again, they didn't file the necessary documents. You may call it insufficient filing. You may call it, if it was in the process service, you would say insufficient process or ineffective assistance to counsel if you didn't have the right counsel or something like that. But in this case, the documents that needed to file for a foreclosure was not filed in this particular guy's case. And I was thinking... What law would, because he's already been to the public court, and they denied him, said he didn't have jurisdiction, he didn't have a timely, he didn't file it. They worked together all the way up to the public court. So I know this is a sham. We already know what's going on in these courts. But I wanted right. to get your opinion on what that would be considered. Would that be considered fraud upon the court? Would that be considered insufficient filing? They didn't file, because the statute says this in that particular state. The statute says you must prove standing by showing that you're the owner of the of the of the mortgage. Uh and you need a a, a promissory note to do that. And they didn't they didn't file the promissory note, nor did they file the assignment. You have to at least have an assignment in most states. Some states okay, you don't a need couple, it a couple a, a couple questions for you. Um you're you're saying that there was a, a mortgage, a alleged mortgage that was um called upon and the bank took somebody to court but they didn't bring the proper foreclosure documents into the court system. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. They didn't even file the, uh, the documents needed to start the case. They started the case with the complaint, but they didn't put the other documents with it. Okay, and was this, like, a, was this a mortgage state or a deed of trust state? That's a mortgage state. Okay, so mortgage means they have to take it to a court. Okay, so... Right. And they didn't have the proper documents there. So, uh, long story short, the court lacked jurisdiction because proper standing was challenged but wasn't evidenced in court. 
um, brings me to 1988, I believe it is, uh, Steel Corporate, Corporation versus um, Citizens for a Better Environment, which was then upheld in the Supreme Court in 2002, U.S. versus Cotton, adhered to it and said, we're not going to hear this case anymore. We've already decided it, and it's done and over with, and everyone's unanimous. So basically it goes through, and it's uh, Steel versus Citizens is an amazing case where if you can pull up Steel versus Citizens, it goes through a part of the decision where it talks about uh, three different topics, one being jurisdiction, one being standing, and the other being merits. Um, and they made it crystal clear that standing is important and merits decide the facts of a case. However, jurisdiction gives the court authority to even hear the case. So they ordered them in order of priority, and they said jurisdiction is always mandatory first. They have to have, they being the court, has to have evidence that they are entitled and have a right to even hear a case. And for that to happen, they have to have a law that was violated or a law that the topic deals with in order for the court to have jurisdiction. The second part to the court's jurisdiction is that the two parties before them have proper standing. And if there wasn't proper standing, then if it wasn't acquiesced to in court, if it wasn't agreed to in court, or if somebody challenged it, standing must be proven. And it sounds to me that your case here was that you challenged standing or that, challenge, that standing was challenged, but it was never proven. So the court automatically loses its jurisdiction because somebody challenged it and the court did not require it as per the Supreme Court. And that could be very, very the case. I have to look more into it. But there's something to do with due process violation, too, which meaning they didn't serve the person. They served the person's uh, ill grandmother, and that's the other part of the case. They served okay, well, don't, 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 well, so, whoa, slow down there. Hold on, hold on. You're now jumping into a whole different thing. There is a due process um, uh, violation that took place. However, that's a right. different, separate case, and this is where I'm very big on trying to caution people. When you go to court, do not breathe the repercussions of the failure yet. You prove the failure in this case, then you can take this decision that you win, and that's the factual court-documented evidence you need to prove due process was violated so that you can collect damages. But do not bring due process up when you're challenging standing or jurisdiction. Right. Got it. Got it. Yep. Does that make Another sense? Another thing was, yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. Another thing, you mentioned something about the Constitution. I don't know. I was, it, it brought my mind to, brought my, I reminisced back to what happened during the Civil War. You know, when when the, when, the, when Britain came in here, and I, I just kind of feel like, and all my, my research kind of tell me, that they kind of screwed those constitutional documents up. The whole Constitution. Mm-hmm. You see, and I heard you talking to a gentleman earlier. I don't remember the exact exact words you were using with the with the uh, 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 with a supplemental constitution or a different type of constitution that was uh, when it was a minute, so to speak. I'm thinking that mm-hmm. the, the British they had something to do with that. They, they, I'm thinking it's all screwed up, and these guys know they know that the constitution we don't have the organic constitution. I don't believe. Right. Uh, I, nope. could be, I could be wrong. Could be wrong. But 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 yeah. But the, the United States citizens don't know that. And that's why these no. lawyers try to walk over, walk over, over, over us, because a lot of people just don't know. 
you know, and, and that was kind of almost an oxymoron what you were saying. And, and you are right. They're not using the organic documents. But I don't really necessarily believe that all attorneys are out there trying to run people over. They're just ignorant. They don't know. I mean, hell, you can go up to a I, – I have I've questioned so many attorneys now, and I'll go up there and, and I'll ask them, how many statutes are there? And typically that's probably 50 or now, nowadays it's 52 because they added a couple on. And I'll just yeah. look at them and, and I say, I didn't ask about the code. I asked about the statutes. Well, there's 50. No, there's not I, 50. There's 50 United States code, but there's not 50 statutes. And people really, 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 really have to learn about these statutes. First Congress comes out. They pass 100 laws, we'll call it. You have one stat one, one stat two, one stat three, one stat four, one stat five. One represents the first Congress. Second Congress comes in, they start writing laws. Now it's two stat one, two stat two, two stat three. Not hard, not complicated. Well, the Law Revision Council of the House of Representatives, which is a bunch of lawyers, have taken the statutes and they decided that they would start codifying them by topic. So it's easier for us Americans to read. But what they did is they started to change the words. They started to change the punctuations. They started to change the meanings. They started to replace words with different words to try to make it easier, is what they say. However, they admit on their own website, if you go to the Law Revision Council of the House of Representatives, you'll clearly see that they've started this little deal where they're going to translate the statutes into the code. However, you'll notice that so many codes have not been enacted into positive law because the words are different. 18 United States Code. The criminal code of the United States has never been codified as law, yet they use it every day. 26, United States Code, the tax code, has never been enacted into positive law, meaning it's so much different than the original statute that they can't honestly, openly go to the American people and say, this is word for word what Congress passed. They can't do it. That's why every court in this country, county, state, federal, I don't care which court it is, every one of them unanimously agree the statutes at large always prevail over the code. So if you find a difference in the statute, then that statute will supersede the code. But you have to go to the statute in order to find out if it's different than the code to begin with. These attorneys don't even know the statutes exist. That's right. I, I agree. I agree. But but thank you anyway. I, I, I wanted to hear what you had to say about those two topics, uh, those two subjects, because I was mainly concerned with those people filing something in the court illegally, I mean, not filing, not filing, I mean, insufficiently in a, in a, in a sense. They didn't file right. no documents needed to start the case. I'm saying, what is that? I'm breaking the law. No, yeah. I got to get the judge. We got to get the judge, too, because he was a part of the scheme. It's like conspiracy, you know? So, uh, well, you, you know, you look at you look at it from the other side, and, and here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of put myself out here a little bit. Um, I'm kind of like married into a police family now. And, you know, Christmas is kind of interesting, (laughs) but, you know, the more I talk, the more they sit back. And and one of them actually was formerly the the sheriff here for quite some time. He'll sit back and scratch his head because I never looked at it that way, but you're absolutely right. 
I'm, I'm telling you guys, the, the, the police and, and the lawyers and whatnot, they're not bad people. They're doing what they think is correct. And if you go and approach them in a fighting manner, they're going to fight back. But, but if not, you go not, up there, no, no, I, and I'm not accusing you. I'm, I'm, I'm not accusing you. I'm just talking in general. So please, I'm sorry if I took it that way uh, or approached it that way. But if you go up there and say, look, this is what Congress really said. And this is what the, the, the code says. This is what the regulation, which your agency told you that this said. And now I've got a third version to it. And you're telling me to do this, which is completely contrary to what Congress actually said you could do. Now they have nowhere to go because you've got the supreme law right on your side, which is a statute, which is built upon Congress, which is built from the Constitution. You're right. I agree. I agree 100%. It's why you have to study and you have to be precise what's going yes. on. And that's why I asked you about that point. I said because the statute says that you have to file a certain amount of documents inside to see a particular complaint. But you yes. didn't file any documents. You filed one document, which was a copy of the document. In fact, you did not even file that you are the owner. So how do you have standing? You don't have standing. <laughs> but I'm, they didn't file. And that's why I was asking your opinion. I wanted to see what you were going to say. Was you going to bird out something like fraud? Something like insufficient filing, or was you going to blow well, out something? Well, if, if you if you want to say fraud, take caution because fraud involves a purposeful intent, and you can't prove their intent unless you know what they actually did. So that's going to be a hard one to prove. But Alan jumped out here a minute ago, and he mentioned something about the chain of title. Chain of title wasn't even there. We challenged this person's standing. They didn't prove it, and the court went on anyways. So the court lacked jurisdiction. It lost its jurisdiction in the meantime because standing was challenged and it wasn't never proven. So therefore, the court lost its authority. So I don't want a avoidable contract here, avoidable judgment. It was void ab initio from the beginning because the court never had jurisdiction. Right, right. To go and ask a court to correct its judgment when the court never had authority is not what I'm asking you to do. That contract was never lawfully enacted to begin with or that judgment. And the thing is also the court was never set in motion if you didn't. For instance, if you never filed a police report, how could you start the case? And that's with another case. I'm talking in terms of criminal cases, not civil. You didn't start Mm -hmm. a a police report. How are you going to start the case in the court? You You need some kind of complaint. I mean, you need some right. kind of victim. You need a victim before you start a case. Well, you need a victim and you need a verified complaint. Not just a complaint. It's got to be verified. Right. I got <laughs> mm-hmm. But thank you very much, though. I really appreciate it. I, I wanted to hear what you had to say on that. But I wish I could expound more because I didn't, I didn't go all the way into details like I would like to have showed you some more things. But, but I appreciate it. I did want to come, come in on that constitution because I try to look at the constitutional, the constitutional issues here a lot. And I think I, I just really believe that when the British came in here, that that, that thing was flipped up, upside down. I really do. Yep, yep, they did. And I think they came in here and just snatched the original and said, "Here." And that's that's all we use is the original. I believe in in, in Britain somewhere, or England somewhere. I don't I don't know, but I really believe. It. I could be wrong though. Okay. Mhm. All right. Well, thank all you. Right, thanks, Alan. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Thank good you. You too. Okay, next up is um, West Tennessee. Go ahead. You've been unmuted. 
West Tennessee, you've been unmuted. Um, Do you have a question? There you go. Do you know of any um, cases where people have won in non-judicial states? It it really doesn't change. That's why I asked if there was a mortgage or a deed of trust. Um, In a a non-judicial state, that is going to take a little bit different procedure uh, where you actually would have to file the claim um, against them. And really the best way that I've seen done or that I've actually helped others get it done involves a little bit of UCC financings also because they're just going to go after that title with or without the court. And obviously, if you're going to go sue them in court, it's going to take a year and they're going to take their house beforehand, blah, blah, blah. You probably know that that routine. So um, a UCC-5 form is used by a either a, <coughs> excuse me, either by the, the uh, creditor or the debtor. Either one can file a UCC-5. And what it does is it corrects an original one. And what I've had other folks do in non-judicial states is they'll file a UCC-5 with an affidavit that has already been seasoned or defaulted, so to speak. In other words, you, you file an affidavit with the director of a bank, the original bank, um, and get them into default. And once they're into default, you take that paperwork with a UCC-5 and put the original loan or mortgage deed of trust uh, number that's in the filing, and you file it on top of it. What that does is it clouds the title so that they are unable to sell it. And that okay, buys have, time so that you can go into court and sue them. Okay, do you have any court cases where people can actually read one of those cases? I, I, I don't know if I broke up or you broke up, but I, I, oh. all I heard was cases. Do you, by chance, have any court case where someone actually did that and then they went to court? Um, the gentleman I had helping me, I don't know if he still does it or not. His name is Dale Robertson. Um, he's out of Texas and he actually owns the website, uh, habeascorpus.net. And I'm certain he has several of them. Uh, unfortunately, I lost a lot of documents when I was lodged in prison for five years. I got home and I lost a lot of documents. So are you having people with that process, like you say his name was Dale Robinson? Robertson, like Robert, and then S-O-N, Robertson. Okay. Do you help people <laughs> with that? I'm, I'm sorry, what's that? Do you help people like you helped him with that type no, of thing? No, I, I, I don't. I, I get on and I do calls, and uh, I, I don't get involved personally with much of anything anymore. Okay. It's, it's called habiscorpus.net. Yes. Okay, thank you. You bet. Okay. Um, yeah, and I and I apologize. Okay. I work eight, I work eighty hours a week right now, Angela. So I I really wow. don't have time to help people. I mean, I can send them documents, and that's obviously why I sent you all of those documents so people can sure. go and get them at at whenever they want at their leisure. So yeah. should all be and up on the website too. Yeah, yep. they're posted on the website myprivateaudio.com. Go to the top. Uh, link there's a bar of links at the top in black and just click on dan benham's name and that'll open it up um 
Let me see here. Um, there, there should be hundreds of docs in there, too, and, and some of them are UCC docs. I know the affidavit's in there. There should be uh, several different instructions on certain things, um, as well as a ton of research, too. So a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about is just it's sitting right there on Angela's website. Also, someone emailed me earlier and wanted me to ask you this question, and um, <clears throat> Let's see. I don't know if you want to get into this, but um, he goes, can you ask Dan Benham to review step-by-step his foreclosure research strategy and where he goes to the SEC website, et cetera? Right. Uh, the SEC website, uh, you, go, you go in there and then there's Edgar Search, uh, sec.gov, and you'll find Edgar Search. Um, and it, it broadens more than just the SEC because the Federal Reserve Bank as well as the FDIC all have the same information. So you can obtain it from any of them. Um, actually, I, I even believe the Office of First Supervision has it too. Um, but what you're doing at the SEC is you're looking at their perspective. You want to find the company's perspective. Let's just assume it's Bank of America, for example. And <clears throat> you go and you find a prospectus. And just to give a, a, a more of a, um, a, a Reader's Digest version of what these documents are, the prospectus is basically for investors. If people want to invest in Bank of America, Bank of America has to solicit them uh, after they have knowledge that an investor wants to invest in their company, they have to provide them with what's called a prospectus. Last I knew it was a 424B4 form, but I also understand that they switched that, so you just want to find the prospectus. And trust me, guys, it, they're big. They're, some of them are in excess of 500 pages. Others are only about 200 pages. But what the prospectus does is it is going to identify who the president is, who the chief financial officer is. It is double certified, and it goes through and it talks about what the bonds consist of. In this case, the bonds are going to consist of mortgage notes, also known as IE mortgage securities. Um, it's also going to talk about you know, the dangers of investing. But the part you want to get to is the ownership of those notes, i.e. the ownership of the bonds. And the ones that I've read in the past have all said that Bank of America has no right, title, or interest in any of the bonds that it holds. Well, your mortgage is in that bond. And if that bank doesn't have any right, title, or interest in it, then how in the world can an attorney for that bank go into a court and suddenly have a right, title, or interest? This is the simplicity of this process. You have documents that were filed by Bank of America or whatever bank it is. They filed the documents with the SEC making the claim that they have no right, title, or interest in any of the bonds. But they're going into court signing a document stating that they do have a right to it and that they have a right to claim on it and make money back on it. So either one of two things took place. They either filed fraudulent securities forms with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is an SEC fraud, which is a violation of federal law, which will close that bank down pretty quickly. I hope people sense my pause as the power of being able to go into a court and get the judge on your side immediately by saying, Your Honor, I have found securities fraud issues here because the complaint says they have an interest, yet they file documents with the SEC stating they don't have any right, title, and interest. 
And I wouldn't be a proactive American if I did not let the Securities and Exchange Commission know of a federal violation that occurred in their office. So I really need to take this information so that I can go lodge a proper complaint with the Securities and Exchange Commission for securities fraud. Or, on the other hand, Your Honor, they didn't lie to the Securities and Exchange Commission, and they're perpetrating fraud on this court. It can't be both. It has to be one or the other. You either have a right or you don't. You told the SEC you don't have a right, but you told the court you did. Which is it? You lied to somebody. You notice that when I do it that way, the burden of proof never is on me. I don't have to prove that my promissory note is going to discharge this. Or I don't have to prove that some mysterious little, whatever they call the account, your Social Security account in the Social Security Administration, I don't have to do none of that. I've proven their fraud. I've actually, I've exposed their fraud. I didn't prove it. They did. So it's one of the two. So that right there is the easiest way to do it. Finding the document is the hard part. But you go through Edgar's search through the SEC, and you find that bank, and then you go and find that bank's prospectus, but you also have to make sure that that prospectus includes the bonds from the dates that you sign the note. In other words, they're going to have quarterly prospectuses. One quarter is going to include this bulk of promissory notes, so to speak, from that bank. The next quarter, so you have to go and, and match up when you sign that document. That quarter is when that note, where that note's going to be. And you have to be precise with it because if you get the wrong quarter, then your note's not in there and you didn't prove anything. So, but that right there is is. I'm going to say the Reader's Digest version of this. Obviously, there's an affidavit involved where what you do is, is what I always did was I drafted up the affidavit, which, again, is on your site, Angela, and I addressed it to the director, and I had that information from the SEC first, and I sent that documentation to them. Inside my affidavit, I said, look, I found this. And I'm just totally, I'm thoroughly confused. I'm not a banker. I don't get this stuff. Maybe you can help me understand it. According to your filings in the SEC, my note is in this perspective. And you filed it stating that you have no right title or an interest in it. You also made me believe that I was coming into your bank getting a loan, which in turn I found out is not true. You guys are actually acting as my trustee. You took my money, went up got it cashed with the Federal Reserve, and you gave it to the seller. This is not anything that we discussed. This is not what your employees told me was going on. This is a severe violation of trust law and securities violation, or it's a violation of fraud on the court, one of the two. So the, the onus or the burden now rests very heavily on that lender to explain their position because what they're trying to do to you is contrary to what they're telling the court, which is also contrary to what they told the SEC. What story is right? What story is true? And when you catch them in there, every single time, and I'm, I'm going to probably throw my hand out here and say close to 5,000, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less, are the, the, the amount of these that I've either helped with, knew of, or help people file 
over the course of the last decade and a half. So nothing's really changed as far as the banking policies. It's all the same. They haven't changed the law, so it's all still the same. I know that when I left for five years and came back, the SEC changed a lot of their form numbers, and they also changed a lot of their verbiage. Before, they always said that, you know, nowadays they're saying it's an interest. Back then it was a right. Now they're saying they don't have any interest or that they're the interest here, the interest there, as though they had an interest in something. So they've changed the verbiage around, and that all took place after, you know, 9-11 took place. They, they changed all the verbiage, but it's still the same. If you don't have an interest in it, then you don't have a right. And if you lack an interest in it, then that means you don't have any financial interest in it. It is a banking transaction, so when you say that you don't have an interest, that means you have no financial interest in it. So it kind of goes in that realm. Um, It's a lot easier to go through when I've got something sitting right in front of me or if I have a particular case that I'm trying to help somebody on, and I know that there's a lot of information on Angela's website i.e. the affidavit, which you do have to contour to yourself. I mean, you have to go through a tailor. It's just a template. It's not just print and file. You can't do that. You have to go through and build this affidavit because I don't know if you sat with a Jan or if you sat with a Bob. I don't know what date you went there. I mean, you have to really go through and and create this affidavit and and make it. But once that affidavit's done, like I was talking with Alan earlier, it is Section 9 of the Bank Act, it's 12 Stat 99, if you want the original statutes at large about that Bank Act. Uh, Section 9 says that the directors are all liable. But it's even more interesting that now, on top of the securities fraud, if you dive into uh, even Title 12, United States Code, <clears throat> going to that section, but going back to the original statute, Section 35 and 37 of the original statute actually go through and tell you that the bank cannot loan out its own money. It can't pledge its own notes for any of its banking operations or otherwise. So that means that the note that they're holding cannot be theirs. It's impossible. It's a violation of federal banking laws for the bank to say or make a claim that is their note. They can't do it. They won't do it. This is why this works so precisely, but you have to put the information in there and call the ball on them. So what you're doing is you're building a case for fraud that shows that the bank has has actually frauded either or both the court and the SEC. So what you're doing is you're turning the government against the bank while you're sitting back just watching to see who's going to fall. Section 35 and Section 37 of the original Bank Act, 12 Stat 99, crystal clear, says that the bank cannot use any of its own notes, money, or debt instruments for any of its banking operations. So that proves it's not their note. Secondly, the director of the bank is liable for all actions and all words of all their employees. So do not address anybody but the director when you're sending this documentation. And third, once you get it all gathered together, you package it up and you bring it to the court. And now you're going to ask the court for help. Don't go there and fight the court. You need to go in and argue and get, in a, get the judge in a bad mood against you 
here's the documents. They filed it. It's stamped by the SEC. It's not my stuff. It's theirs. They're the ones that said they didn't have any right title and interest. And you're now, according to this complaint, they somehow got an interest. And I kind of like to know if they're lying to you or if they're lying to the SEC. They all got a lot of answering to do. We've got four people with their hands up. And also, Alan wanted to ask a question. He said, um, ask him if he uses a jurat affidavit. Absolutely. Good point. In fact, if you open up the affidavit on the site, it does have a jurat. Okay, next up is Fast Car. You've been unmuted. Go ahead, Fast Car. Did you have a question? Hi, Hi Angela. Thank you. Hi, Hi, Dan. You're welcome. Thanks so much for your help. I appreciate it very much. Um, You're welcome. I came on kind of late, um, which I apologize for. Um, I was curious if you know of anybody that had used your approach in Massachusetts and had succeeded. We are a non-judicial title theory state. Um, I, I know New Jersey and I know New York. I don't recall anything in Massachusetts. Um, Again, non non judicial states are they're a bugger. I, I mean, I'm not going to fib to you. I don't I don't like them. They're, it's harder to do. It's still accomplishable, but it takes countless hours. Um, but I, I do know the essential part that slowed everything down, that gave people time to file their cases in courts, were the UCC five. Um, you know, especially if you can get that SEC. Uh, documentation and the affidavit, get it in default, go put it right on top of that mortgage and just watch watch the explosions happen. I've I've got several people that are probably on this call that I actually invited that uh, can attest to some of the weirdest things I've ever had happen. Uh, There was one gentleman in New York, $460,000 loan, um, and they were threatening to take the the property. If I'm not mistaken, New York is a non-title are uh, non-judicial too, are they not? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm not either. I thought they were though. But anyways, regardless, we we sent this information and faxed it over to the law firm and the courts. And the next morning, that law firm wrote a letter and filed a motion to dismiss all their own claims instantly. Um, and that issue went away. Um, but I, I don't remember if it was judicial or not. Um, okay. What I do know is that the, the last case that I know of was up in Minnesota, and this person filed suit in court, lost, appelled it to the state appeal, appellate court, lost, went to the state Supreme Court, lost, went to the federal district court, and it lost there. But on the appellate court, um, got a favorable um, sighting, but then once he got the favorable sighting, he gave up and didn't go back down to the district court. He just point blank got tired, but it did win in the appellate court in Minnesota, it, but the guy just, I don't know if he got spooked. I don't know if somebody called him. I, I don't know what happened on that, but uh, I know that that court case was up there. Um, Bruce was his name. I can't remember his last name. Um, so it, it can be done, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's harder than if it is a judicial state. I, it, it really is. Okay. Now, um, I understand you're real busy. Just curious um, why you wouldn't uh, do this 
of a living. To, I'm sure there's a lot of people that could use a helping hand in organizing their paperwork and um, crossing their T's and dotting their I's. Um, two two main reasons. Uh, the first reason was is I did that before, and the federal government decided that they were going to strum up false allegations and strung me through eight years of hell, five years in prison, federal prison, uh, destruction of my family. I haven't seen my three boys in about 10 years as a result of all this. Um, that, that, that definitely changed the mindset of, you know, being directly involved with people. Um, and number two, people just don't have the money. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like I was asking for five or $10,000. It was, you know, send me a 500, send me a grand, something. I mean, just something so I can make a living doing this. And it just honestly, it wasn't there. I mean, I'll, I'll be truthful. I'm not a greedy person. As yeah. long as I can make do, I'm I'm fine. But it seems like the two of those combinations just made it nearly impossible uh, for me to do that. Because most of the people call me up and they're in default because they don't have money and they're at the you know 11th hour and got to be in court in the morning, which means I stay up <laughs> all night for nothing. <laughs> It you know I'm not trying to be negative, but that's that's no. what I've seen over time. So I got you. That's too bad. I'm sorry, that was the outcome. Um, yeah. So I, where do I learn to use? Like, and again, I apologize. It came late. Where do I learn to use your process step by step? There's a lot of information right on Angela's site, and I did put. Um, There's also the re- video on YouTube where he goes through the whole thing. Where it's it's really good. I posted it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, I forgot about that. There, there's oh, just yeah. a video, video points, all my research uh, documents, and also some of the documents in there are actually uh, how-to or instructions. You know, you do this, do this, make sure you do this, and so on. Mm-hmm. Okay. My personal case is I, I've got a HELOC. Um, I modified my first mortgage, and I'm okay with that the way it is right this second, but I've got a HELOC that's going to balloon um, pretty soon. And um, it's uh, subordinate, secured, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, would I just go about using the process um, um, as as you've been describing it in this case? <laughs> yes. Actually, what I've always tried to get people to do is just continue to make payments. Don't cause a scene. Because if you stop making payments, now you the burden's on you. Why are you not making the payment? If you're making the payment and you can actually be proactive and take them to court before any of this happens, now they really got, you really shoved a a porcupine down their throat is what you did. Because now there's no reason for them to come back at you. You're going after them for a fraudulent loan. And once you you get the court to agree with you, if you can, then you can take that. And like I was telling the gentleman before, now you can go file uh, for damages and you got the court's signature as evidence. Uh, you can't beat that. That's there, There's no way a lower court is going to say, no, the federal district court's wrong. No, just, I'm sorry, they're not going to do that. Is there something about this um, second mortgage, this HELOC, that would make it um, sort of an easier sell on the court? Or do you think it would, it would just generally um, go more smoothly than attacking the first? Well, a loan is a loan. Um, I actually remember talking, I actually was on this call um, a while ago, I can't remember when it was, but um, GMAC, they're they're bankrupt 
and now they're Ally Financial. But at the time, it was still GMAC, General Motors Acceptance Corporation. They did mortgages, but they also did car loans. And I was doing some research on the FDIC site, and I just happened to do a, a, an Edgar search, and I found GMAC, and I went to the prospectus, and the prospectus actually said that they had zero car loans in the entire country. Wow. I'm an agent for GMAC. I'm signing contracts left and right. I know I'm giving them 100 every quarter. And they're saying that there's none in the entire country that they have right title interest in? A loan is a loan. It's all the same. It doesn't matter if it's a mortgage, a second mortgage, a car note, a credit card. It doesn't matter. Personal loan, any of it. None of it matters. It's all the same process. Okay. Um, and if, you know, we get, if, if one were to get, um, start the process and then get stuck, um, is there a, a forum or is there a place where, um, yeah, you can, uh, there's several people that, that email through, through Angela, um, mm-hmm. and then she gets it to me. Um, and, and the only reason I do it that way is uh, otherwise I'd be answering emails every, every day. I mean, I'd be answering yep. hundreds, hundreds of them. So I try to stay a little bit private on that, but most of the information is on her site. And I shouldn't say most. It should all be there. Um, and, and most importantly, I would key in on making sure that the affidavit is, is crystal clear and inclusive of all material facts as you possibly can. And equally important is getting the documentation that says that the bank has no interest no right title of interest or no interest in that bond where that note sits. All notes, all all loans. Yes, the servicing agreement is also important because that proves that they're a servicer. Servicers are not owners of a note. They're mere collectors of the debt for the owner. So if you got the servicing agreement, that proves that they have no right title or interest in the note itself. I wouldn't use that solely. I would use the most powerful one is going to clearly be that prospectus at the SEC. I mean, that right there is, and the reason I'm saying that is because the servicing agreement is the banks admitting that they're a servicer. However, the SEC prospectus is them actually proving and telling the United States Securities and Exchange Commission certifying that they have no right title or an interest in it. That is where that's that's where the icing is on the cake. Now that this HELOC has changed hands at least twice. Originally it was with IndyMac, that changed and it's changed again. And so which um prospectus, uh which servicing agreement the, the original. It, right. And the reason I say the original one is because if they didn't own it, they can't sell something they didn't own. So there's there's what they call a, a third-party innocence. Uh, say I steal your car and I sell it to your neighbor. You can't sue your neighbor because he's just an innocent purchaser. He just bought a car. He didn't know it was stolen. The claim is yeah. still against me. I'm the original one that took it, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Okay. And uh, in the case of IndyMac, are they even around anymore? Uh, they should still have filings on there. And okay. you might have to do a little reverse research in other words find out who has it now and inside the sec it will tell you where they bought it from you know obviously print that document and then go to where 
they bought it from and find theirs, which says they bought it from IndyMac, and, and that's that's how you connect them dots. Okay. Okay, sounds like fun. <laughs> oh, oh, it is. That's I, I I tried to say it earlier. The hardest part of all is just finding them documents. Yeah. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate mm-hmm. you coming on Angela's show um, again and helping us out with this. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Right. I appreciate it. Let's see. Next up is North Nevada. You've been unmuted. Go ahead, oh, North hi. Nevada. Hi. Hi, I have a question, Dan. Yes. I was involved in a family estate that I found on the family ledger, I mean, on the county ledger subsequently, years later, because I was so lied to. A ranch sold for a billion dollars, and the oil was sold for a billion dollars. I never got one penny of it, and my father would have never wanted that for me. I'm the youngest. So I'm asking you, how can I go back? Because I know the bank's involved. And I wonder if there's a way to go back and claim fraud and open that and put the, some restitution there. And what steps you would recommend that I would take? So there was a property or an estate that was sold, and you didn't, you weren't part of it? I mean, was, was there I a will or Okay, okay, okay. Let, let, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's slow down and get to basics here for a second. Yes. There was an estate created, which means that there was names on that estate, either by will or by title in the recorder's office. There had to have been something that connected you to it. Yes, that's sort of thing. My mother told me that that my parents were intended on giving one quarter to each one of us, or four of us, that we would each get one-fourth of the inheritance. Have you searched the will, or did they have any kind of of an estate, or did they have any kind of trust built up on it, or anything like that? Gosh, I'm speechless because they didn't let me see anything. See, I wasn't even notified. It, it's all I wasn't even you... I wasn't even notified that the ranch was going to be sold. I found out months later because I was in college, putting myself through up to my father. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I, I really, I really need you to slow down here for a second because you're talking results and I'm looking for foundation. Okay. So, public documents exist somewhere, wherever the property is. You can actually go down to the recorder's office or register a deed, and you probably can get one of the people to actually help you find the extract, the abstract of land, and that way you can get some cross numbers and references, and then you can actually take that information. If they don't have some kind of a a will or a deed with names on it, then you can take that to the clerk's office and cross-reference that filing number with any kind of wills or any kind of trust that were maybe filed, and it's all public. It has to be public. They, just because it sells, it doesn't mean it's not public anymore. They they have records of that stuff. And that's what what I would do is I'd be down at the county where the land is, was located, and I'd be digging through them papers and asking people for help to try to find the abstracts, find a will, find any kind of trust that was set up, um, even a letter of wishes or a letter of intent from the family or the family uh, estate trustee. I mean, a state of that kind would have had some kind of trust or some kind of 
will or something documented stating that if something happens to me, I, I want to will it to this person or I want it to be shared amongst uh, my children or whoever, whatever. I mean, there has to be something somewhere. I think the question's too deep for that. I have a system law who's been registered to the court, and they've got a contact in my life. The center movement is the most time to get this. And I'm kidding you. You've got to say this or not, but stuff that's happened to you. So, like, I thought maybe there's going to go up to the bank. Angel, I, I need your help because I cannot hear anything she's saying. It sounds muffled. Oh, I'm sorry. It's really hard to understand you. There's a, it's, it's. I don't know if it's your mic. Maybe you're too close to it. You back off a little bit, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Say something. Well, the corruption That's much is so better. deep. The lawyers and my brother, my eldest brother, who's 12 years older than me is on the board of directors of that bank. He was the one that negotiated the deal. And they have literally had me run down and tried to murder me. And I can't go back there safely without being put in a mental institution and drugged to death. They've tried it once already. So I'm like, I would have to find some way to hire somebody else to go do that legwork for me right now. I thought maybe there was some way to go to the bank at the higher level of the bank and get somewhere. No, I, I wouldn't. It's a big would, bank would, in that state now. <laughs> so why don't you find a private investigation company? Let them know about it and see if they can do some digging around. Throw them a couple hundred bucks to go do a little bit of digging for you. In that state, you mean a private investigator? Maybe I can. Yeah. I don't yeah. have any money, but a private investigator. Yeah, private I mean, I've been living on nothing. That's right up. Yeah, that's Pardon right me? up for Allie. I said that's private right investigators. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, there would be... I did the time value of money, of what my share would be, and it was like $14 billion. Bucks. <laughs> you say mm-hmm. nothing about investing it, you know, in something else. Well... If they if there so, wasn't I mean, any fraud would, in there going to dig up the the documents, you'll 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 find the fraud as long as you do enough digging. Uh you know, I've I've actually simply just called the register of deeds and I found somebody up there and I just said, Hey look, you know, I'm not you do this for a living, I don't, I need a little bit of help. I need to get the documentation on such and such address and could you just email me the link that I can get to it? And Next thing you know, I get a link, and there's all the documents relating to it. I mean, I didn't even have to go up there. I just called and asked him and was polite and said, I, you know, I don't know how to do this stuff. Can you send me a link on, you know, 249 Beach Street Drive up in Traverse City? This is a tiny little town in a great agricultural area of America. And, I mean, these people are tight. I mean, there's mm-hmm. probably 500 people that control everything in that courthouse or less. You know what I'm well, saying? Don't, don't, don't take this wrong, but that's everywhere. That's there's, everywhere. Small, there's, there's a small handful of people that do that. Well, I mean, the Rockefellers. Most people think of the Rockefellers being New York or over in Europe or something. All their summer houses are up in Petoskey, and they own that town. That's Petoskey, Michigan, right over here. So it happens everywhere. I went to a, a village townhouse meeting or a town hall meeting up in Grand Traverse County where the city was trying to uh, – uh, get the people to buy into a ten ten and a half million dollar uh, set, uh, with a city water project, 
And this little old lady, I didn't know it, but she was the heir to Chrysler Corporation's uh, former former owner. She stood up and she said, I object to it. Next thing you know, everything stopped right there. No city water for the entire county because one lady stood up and said something. So, you know, I, I don't I don't want to make it sound bad, but it, it, it's everywhere. Okay. All righty. And, and what I like to do is, you ever watch that movie, Columbo? Mm-hmm. Years ago, yeah. Yeah, okay. Zach like him. He, he always just played stupid. I, I just got one more question. I, just need, I need a little help. I don't know how to do this. Can you help me out? You'd be amazed at how much people can help you out if you find the right person. My mm. older brother said that years ago, that that was the way to do things. And he's the crook of the family. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> not not that it isn't correct on your part, and they know you're not. You're doing your very best to get back on your feet after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All righty. Thank you. Can we move? Thank you. Yeah. No, All righty. Next up. Yeah, I know. Wow, that's next up. <clears throat> Set me free, too. You've been unmuted. Hi, Dan. This is Renee. How hey, are you? how you doing? Uh, well, let me just kind of brief you, because you may... <laughs> I, I messed it all up in terms of uh, being able to talk in court, plus I was dealing with a, a really lousy judge. So I dropped the court, the case, Um in time before any, it was pre-trial, um, and it was, uh, he signed uh, their order, and he signed it really, really tiny, That and he said, you cannot replete anything that was here, anything that you've, replet, you've pled before, and he told them they didn't have to answer my latest discovery and interrogatories that I had sent. So I dropped the case. Um Rule 192, 162, I think, anyway. Uh, now I've got a yesterday a summons to uh, the eviction court. So they're pressing forward. Um, anyway, I was hoping, one question is, is there a difference in the courts? Um, what I'm anticipating is he's going to say, we're not talking about anything but eviction. Is that true? That's what they're probably going to want to want to do, but we're right back to jurisdiction and standing. Okay. I, I that's why that. I push jurisdiction and standing so much because I don't care what court you're in. If you don't have standing, the court don't have jurisdiction. That's every court in every county, city, state, nation. So it, it doesn't matter. Any court in the United States. Okay. If a party lacks standing, the court doesn't have jurisdiction to hear it because the court will be making a decision for or against somebody who doesn't have a right to be there. Okay. Um, the next thing is this this hearing is on the 17th, so I've got some time. Previously, I know my errors, Some most of them. Uh, I, I The first hearing I had with this awful judge is uh it it scared me to bejesus i mean he was really really awful and the second hearing he threatened me with contempt five times so Mm -hmm. um 
I messed it all up, and that's why I dropped it. So if I go in here, I've got another chance with a different judge. Um, is it the same judge? No, this is going to JP court now, so they're just strictly going for an eviction. Okay. So before you go any further, would it be possible that maybe you file a motion for dismissal for lack of standing or lack of jurisdiction because the other party doesn't have standing, and here's the facts to prove it? Okay. Before you even get there. Okay. That way you're not even there, the document's there, and then if they don't answer it before you get there, the only thing out of your mouth, in my opinion, would be, have you made a decision on my motion to dismiss? Okay. Now it's now it's on the court record. Now they can't hide it. And if he goes against you, this is the wonderful thing about appeal. Do not upset him. Do not get mad. Politely say, I object. And he's going to look at you. He should look at you and say, what grounds? Simply, this court lacks jurisdiction because standing is not been proven, and I've challenged it. So you're not attacking the judge. You're attacking the other party. This is, is, oh, how would I say this? Um, You don't want to get on the bad side of the judge because the judge is the one that makes the decision. And right, wrong, or indifferent, if you upset a judge, he's going to attack you because he knows that 99% of the time you don't know how to go to the appellate court and win anyway. Mm -hmm. So file the motion to dismiss, and you can actually do what's called a 12B6 motion. It's a motion to dismiss because the other party cannot prove their case. They did try to file um, the affidavit from Aquin, some clerk, okay, signed off, some, some employee, and I tried to challenge it. I was actually pretty what, decent. You, what, what did they file? I mean, they filed an affidavit. This was previous case. This case, I'm <laughs> I'm not seeing Jack Diddley except I'm looking at the summons. Um, okay, uh, I, I mean, you know, I've seen that a, a bunch of times where an employee drafts something up and says, "Yeah, they had an, a loan." Okay. Um, so you looked on your computer and you seen digits. I mean, there's enough computer fraud out there to know that that could or couldn't be true. That's okay. So you're swearing that you seen digits in a computer screen. What I'm saying is that I've already filed an affidavit, which is in default with a director of the bank, which says that they don't have any right title and interest in this. If they don't have any right title and interest in it, they don't have standing. If they don't have standing, if this honorable court makes a decision, then they're going to render a decision against somebody who doesn't even have a right to be there. So, therefore, the court lacks jurisdiction. See U.S. versus Steele, amplified by U.S. versus Cotton. And if he doesn't agree with you and wants to move on, simply object to it because it was obviously he didn't render a factual evidence-based decision then you instantly file a motion or a notice to appeal, appeal it to the other court, and very important on appeals, so many people get this wrong because they want to hear their facts. 
They want the court to hear the facts. They want to hear what was going on. The appellate court doesn't care what you think. They don't care what you argue. You go to an appeals court to challenge a court's decision. The appeal has nothing to do with anything other than did the court, did the lower court error by not forcing standing to be proven by that party, which resulted in lack of jurisdiction from the court. Now the Court of Appeals has an actual argument where they're the superior court and they get to tell the lower court, hey, you made a mistake. They challenge standing. you got to have them prove standing. So they'll bring it back down to the smaller court and order that smaller court to prove standing. And they so can't do it. The J- JP court. It doesn't matter what court. Okay. It's, and then it's Mike, still the same bank with the same lack of standing. Yes. Okay. And then the, the Court of Appeals is different. I'm not going to be forced back into a district or, or circuit court. It's a Court of Appeals, period, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I don't know which court it is. You have to find out what court sits over that JP court. Okay. But, but very, very strenuously, I'm going to say that as, as harshly as I can. Do not go through the facts again. That court doesn't care. That court only wants to know how the lower court erred. That's it. That's what an appeal is for. I'm appealing this decision because the court said this. Is that correct? My research here says it's not. Please make a decision. I see so many people lose in appellate court, and then they come back and they yell, and they say the appellate court's crooked and twisted and wrong, which they are a lot of times. But when you look at it, they wanted to go up there and argue that the the director of the court or the director of the bank didn't answer something. It's not – the appellate court does not hear the merits of a case, which is the facts and the evidence. They only render a decision based on an error from the lower court judge, period. That's it. So they'll send it back to him? Yes, with an order, because they're a superior court. They're going to send it back to him and say, what are you doing, judge? They challenge jurisdiction. Every law in this country says that when somebody challenges the, the, the standing or jurisdiction of a party, it has to be proven. You didn't well, we, do that. I'm sending this back down with an order. You have to make a decision on it. I hate court. It's, so do I. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Uh, especially in today's day. My gosh. Yes, it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. But like I said, if you have the SEC documents and you have that affidavit, okay. and yeah. you have you have to have to have to have it on file that you challenged it. Hence, that's the reason I'm saying if you file it before court. Now it's in the court's possession. It's on the docket. And then when you get there, the court's going to start, and you're going to just simply ask, ask the court, have you made it? Did you receive my motion to dismiss, my 12B6 motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted? They can't mm-hmm. file a claim in which relief can be granted because they don't even have standing. Mm-hmm. That, that's the crutch of it. That's the, that's the meat of the whole case. And make sure that it's on the record and it's in the court file. So file a a 12B6 motion to dismiss for, obviously, lack of standing, lack of jurisdiction. 
when you get there, when they start talking to you, bring it up. If he tries to cut you off, let him finish and then say, I'm going to continue my statement that I was interrupted with, not to be harsh, but a party has a right to speak, and I'm going to finish asking my question. I filed this motion. Did you receive it? Yes. Do you need time to read it, or are you ready to render a decision on it? Yeah, I'm going to render a decision, and it's uh, it has to do with eviction, and we're dealing with statutes and codes, Miss Lowry, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I object, Your Honor. This is a simple standing question. They haven't proved standing, and I would like them to prove standing. I found with the SEC that they actually don't have any right title and interest in any notes they carry, let alone mine. So if they lied to the SEC, would that be a Securities and Exchange Commission fraud case, or would it be fraud on this honorable court? Hmm. Should I bring up the forged doc uh, robo-signer that did the assignment even that was uh, four years too late beyond the closing date? Uh, if it's crystal clear fraud, yeah, you can. I've but I, 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 I wouldn't, what I wouldn't do is I wouldn't confuse the issue. Okay. I would go right straight to the heart, right straight to the heart. And if he says no to your standing in jurisdiction, say, Your Honor, well, there's a second part to my claim, which is a forged or or fraudulent uh, signature on the assignment. And now there's a second reason that you could appeal it. But it has to be on the record. And you can actually draft that part up. uh, You know, when you do the 12B6 motion, just clearly separate them and say, I have two issues here. Or three issues. One, I have lack of standing because this lender or this bank actually filed uh, certified documents with the Securities and Exchange Commission from the United States federal government stating they have no right title or interest in any notes that they hold, let alone mine. So they lack standing. Second, when a party lacks standing in court, then the court actually loses jurisdiction over the matter because they would be falsely accusing or falsely damaging a party to that suit. So that's why they lack jurisdiction. That's why jurisdiction is stripped from them so they don't harm someone. And third, I have evidence that there's a fraudulent signature on the assignment. Mm -hmm. Please respond to all three of these. And when you get to court, bring them up. Make sure you bring them up. If he tries to bring on some different topic, say, Your Honor, with all due respect, the United States Supreme Court and Steele versus Citizens and also U.S. versus Cotton, jurisdiction and standing must be heard before the merits of a case. And I understand that you're trying to bring up the merits of the case where there's still jurisdictional and standing questions yet to be answered. All right. And stay calm. Stay calm and be nice. I was calm. The guy just rattled. (laughs) Oh my God. He. uh, Everything I I I would try to start to speak, and he. You're interrupting me. I will hold you in contempt. It was awful. I had a witness there too, but you said go get the transcripts. They don't. They don't. They wouldn't return. They wouldn't give them to me. They just gave me the runaround. Will there be transcripts in the JP court or? That's there the, should be transcripts in every court. 
Yeah. Well, and, Your Honor, I'm not trying to be a pain in the butt. I'm trying to get justice. That's what this is, the court of law. And I'm trying to bring up the law, and a party does have a right to speak. You're, you're telling me that I'm supposed to shut up. How am I supposed to defend myself? Hmm. Always try to answer it with a question putting the burden back on him. Okay. And if he's hmm. being mean, tell him. Your Honor, you're, you're frightening me. Why are you turning red in the face? You're yelling at me and you're screaming at me. All that's going to get put on the transcript for the higher court. Why are you doing it? I'm just trying to de- defend myself and you're telling me not to. I'm not out of line. You asked me a question and I, I feel that according to the Supreme Court, that jurisdiction and standing should be adhered to before the merits of the case. Are you, is the Supreme Court wrong? And what if they bring up their little signed order from the previous judge of the case I dismissed? Your Honor, that case was dismissed. A signed order? Yeah, they presented an order on a special uh, to dismiss. Where he, wrote, where, he, where he wrote real small? Mm-hmm. Okay. Your Honor, that's outside the scope of this issue here. This is an eviction. And I'm telling you, the eviction is coming from someone who lacks standing. That has nothing to do with this. Okay. All right, good. Very good. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Angela, for all you do. Oh. Good luck to you oh, guys. Thank you. <laughs> I heard you thank had you and good luck to you. Yeah, we did five point three, but it was seventy five miles off the coast, so it didn't do any damage or anything. So. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Dan, did you have no. one? Dan's in Michigan. <laughs> oh. Oh no, I'm I'm in Michigan. I we got a couple inches of snow and I think it dropped down to about 15 yesterday, but <laughs> no no earthquakes. Oh God. Okay, I'm gonna let everybody get back on. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. No, and, and, and that's fine. We're we're about 10 minutes late, and I gotta I gotta get up in the morning. So. Oh, we've got three more people with their hands up. Can we do this I, quick? I, we can do one real quick, but I, you know, like I said, I gotta, I gotta get to bed here. I'm still in my work clothes, so kind of. All righty, West Tennessee, you're on. Do you have a question? Yes, I do. Okay. Go ahead. Where'd she go? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, she disappeared. All right, Geek Pal, you've been unmuted. Hi, Angela been a while. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Dan. I'm I'm also Dan, actually. Great name. Uh, nice to meet you. How are you doing tonight? I totally agree. Doing good. Um, good. Mine's pretty simple, actually. Uh, it's credit involved. Um, I had a uh, company return my payment, and it was pretty simple. I'm pretty sure I was behind or whatever, but I don't know if they actually closed it, and I was like, well, maybe Dan's got something to say about this. You tried to pay them, and they returned it? Yeah. That nullifies the agreement. I do that That's all the time. That's what I with, thought. With, yeah, I do that all the time with a, with tickets, actually. <clears throat> I'll go okay. up into a county, um, obviously, speeding ticket or something like that, and go in and, yep, I'm responsible. And I'll go through a gold coin or a silver coin, pure silver or pure gold, up on the clerk's office and watch them look at me crazy. Uh-huh. They can't they can't take it, and I'm trying to pay it. Well, yeah. you got a debit card? Nope. I just paid you right there. We can't take that. Yeah. Well, then I I need something that says that I tried to pay and you're not taking it. Yeah. So I mean, you, uh, you, yeah. Should I write them? What would you suggest? 
I would certainly write them in, in affidavit form to the prosecutor and just say, hey, look, or whoever it is, that company, and just say, look, I, I tried to pay you. You, you um, have negated this contract or no and voided this contract because you returned the payment that I tried to make. The only exception to that rule is if they sold it. If they sold it to a debt collector, then they don't have a right to collect. The debt collector does. And if it went into a debt collector's hands, that's that's real fun. Then all you do is just send them a, a validation of, of, of debt request letter. Within 30 days, they've got to swear that you owe it to them, and they can't because it's all they all they can swear to is that they bought an alleged debt. They can't verify right. that it was a valid debt. Yeah, it doesn't really, I don't know, it kind of messes up my credit situation, though, right? I mean, how do I, uh, is there any way to remedy that at all? Well, sure, you got to have the evidence first before you go to the credit bureaus. So, you know, obviously write to them and, and just say, look, I, I tried to send payment, and you didn't, um, you didn't accept that payment, so therefore this is null and void. If I do not hear from you as to a, a lawful legal reason as to why you, um, you know, returned the money without uh, taking payment, uh, within uh, you know, 10 days or 14 days, then this letter itself will prove that here's that default I was talking about earlier. This letter will be proof that this contract is null and void. So that puts them on the spot. They've got to respond to you in that amount of time. If they don't, then you can take that letter and send it off to the credit bureaus and say, look, here's here's the letter and I've got non-response. Make sure you send that certified, though, so that there's proof that they actually got the letter. Right. Would that, re- would that reset my credit? Would it heal it? Or would it just be like, whatever, I'm back to square one? It's, it's, it's null and void. It needs to come off. Because gotcha. under the Fair Credit, Report, uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act, nothing that is inaccurate, misrepresented, uh, can be on your report at all. And since that is now null and void, it is misrepresented and it has to go away. Okay, perfect. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Okay, well... Um, I appreciate you coming on, Dan, and, and sharing with us your information and giving us your time. And uh, how's everything going for you there in Michigan? Getting your life back in order? I, yes, Good. it is. I, matter of fact, I'm uh, back to being a director of uh, one of these car lots over here, so it's it's going well in that direction. I'm on Chapter 8 of the, of the book. I've revised it and revised it and keep revising it, and that's why I keep shaking my head, begging for somebody that's a producer or editor to interview me and help me finish this thing or or something because I, I want to get this book done real quick and right now it's prime time for it because this is going to expose a whole lot of nastiness uh, the banking industry is going to get exposed into this um, the IRS collection methods are going to be exposed in this what transpired uh, with me it's been nine years and they still will not give me the alleged document that they uh, the uh, what do you call it the they, they said I had a tax identification number, and I want to see the application that was used for it because I never filled out and asked for any tax identification number for a business, and that business was actually used as the foundation to send me to prison for five years. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's going to be very interesting, and I, I would love to expose them right now, especially since it was the Department of Justice that did it, and in light of everything that's going on right now with the FBI and uh, Department of Justice, I think this will just be prime to prove that this is ongoing and continues to go on throughout this country. So, okay. and hopefully the proceeds of this book will be used to hire two of the greatest tax attorneys in this country to uh, take this matter on so that everybody can get some relief from it for once. That'd be great. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, mm-hmm. I you put the word out there, so hopefully someone will contact you. Uh, um, they can email me, and uh, I'll send it on to you. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I guess that's it. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. And stay warm and dry. <laughs> Are you in the snow much? <laughs> Are you playing in the snow? To, no, it's, it's uh, actually a little bit of snow now, not much. And it's supposed to be up to 40 next week. So we're looking for uh, shorts weather here pretty quick. Oh, good, good. <laughs> All right. Well, take care, Dan. Thank you so much again. Take care. We love you. And um, we'll do it again. Okay? Yeah. Th- thank you, Angie. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. All right. All right, that's it. Good night, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.